Welcome to the Scalable Real Estate Investing Podcast, where we discuss the most scalable strategies, tools, and approaches to successfully invest in real estate. Learn how to make the most impact of your time, automate your real estate investing business, find off-market deals with minimum time invested, and leverage your capital to create as many income streams as possible so that you can achieve true financial independence. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Mason Clement. Hi, Scalable Investors. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to tell you about a group that I'm a part of called HiveMind. If you're serious about taking the next step in your real estate investing career, then this is definitely a group that you need to join. Some of our members are making $90,000 or more per month and as much as $300,000 on just one deal. And at the same time, you don't have to spend thousands of dollars like you typically would joining other mastermind groups. This is only $99 per month. And when you join, you'll gain access to a robust integrated CRM software that allows you to track your leads, run automated triggers, and ultimately scale your marketing efforts. So the difference here is that you're not left high and dry, but gain access to a support network that allows you to use that tool and learn from other more experienced real estate investors. So to learn more, go to scalablerei.com slash hivemind. That's H-I-V-E-M-I-N-D. Thanks a lot. Let's get into the episode. All right. Cool. Yeah, I'm just going to do a little intro I always do just to get in the swing of things. And I'll use your little brief bio that you had sent. Here we go. Hi, Scalable Investors. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Scalable Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Mason Clement. And today we have Corey Geary, who is husband, father, and God believer, seven-figure wholesaler. He's basically hitting grand slams every day. So really excited to have him on the show. I think we're going to learn a ton, um, including a new term that I just was aware of called novation. So before I steal his thunder, let's just jump into things. Corey, what's going on? Hey, Mason. How you doing, man? Uh, doing great. I really appreciate, you know, having me on the show today. This is amazing. Truly honor and blessed. So yeah, doing wonderful. Perfect. Well, I'm glad you could take some time to speak with us. So um, every guest I have on, I'd like to just go into the background a little bit. Everyone's story is different. Their journey is different. So why don't you just discuss that a little bit? Absolutely, man. Um, so before real estate, I was a blackjack dealer. So I was in the casino industry and, uh, I dealt blackjack for 17 years and in blackjack, if you're working in the right casinos, you can make some good money cause you make tips. And so I had some money saved up, um, through my dealing career and, I was literally watch, love watching that show on HGTV, Flip or Flop, you know, the Tarek Musa show that everyone used to watch. And I'm uh, watching there with the, my girlfriend at the time, um, and she was a part-time realtor and part-time blackjack dealer, and she knew I had some money saved up. And she's like, why don't you flip a house so I can list it? You know, and that was like literally what got the sparks going in my, you know, the gears in my hand. I was like, I don't know why don't I list the house? It looks easy enough, you know, 30 minutes and they make $80,000. Uh, this seems, you know like something doable and I had some money. And, and so literally I'm, the next morning I'm running around my blocks. I do my morning runs and I see one of those signs, those bandit signs says, uh, 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 fix and flip buy price, two fifty, ARV three fifty. And I was like, Oh, okay. And literally I thought I was, a, you know, I, I saw as a sign like from God that, you know, this is something that I need to pursue. And I stopped on my morning run. I called that phone number. It was uh net worth realty. I don't know if you guys are familiar with them. Um, they're kind of like New Western. There's another one out there that's huge uh, in that, that space. And so I called the, called the company. I bought the house. It took me six months to flip, and I made $8,000. And that was my very first deal, deal I did in real estate. 
So um, what happened after that is I went to some RIA events, uh, started networking, you know, the free RIA events we have locally, and I met some wholesalers. And so my second deal I bought off of a wholesaler, and I made 20000 off that one. Um, on my third deal, though, uh, I kind of already thought I knew what I was doing. I was, an, I was an idiot. And I bought four houses all at once. And at the time, we already, the contractor I was using was very problematic. So we got rid of him. But the issue was the new contractor we brought on, brought on was even worse. And he took me to the cleaners. And on those four houses between the rehab money that we gave him, the money from that we put the down payment and the holding costs, I lost a quarter million dollars on those four houses because he just, he saw a mark on my head. I was a newbie and he really took us to the cleaners on that. And I lost my 401k money from the casino. I lost my, obviously my previous flip money and I lost, you know, my life savings that I had and I didn't want to give up real estate. So uh, as I, I asked the question, I was like, well, I wonder how these wholesalers get their deals. So I literally Googled, and this is back in 2017, I think it was. And I Googled how do wholesalers get deals? And can you guess who might've popped up? <laughs> well, it was Mr. Sean Terry. So Sean Terry pops up and he's got all his, you know, coaching platforms. And I bought into one of his, uh, you know, his platforms or what I bought into the Flip to Freedom Academy. And I uh, went down that rabbit hole and started doing some bandit signs. Um, started doing some direct mail. And uh, about 10 months later, I locked up my first wholesale deal and I sold it to the wholesaler who I bought my deals from when I was flipping and I made $10,000. And that was exactly how I got into wholesaling. I was like, wow, this is good. So, and then I've just been off to the races since then. Okay, great. That's, that's um, exactly what I was had in mind in terms of your background, what got you here, but there's one thing missing now. I know that you've since built out a whole office with staff and everything, yes. which is definitely the goal everyone should have in terms of just scaling yourself out of the business. So how long did it take for you to be like a one-man team to go in there? And what was that process and journey like? Yeah, it took it took a minute. Um, you know, as I was moving along my journey, I, I discovered cold calling. And I was like, okay, this is a cheap way to get leads. And so what I did is I built out a call floor in my living room. I put a bunch of cubicles in my living room and I hired people to come in and cold call. I just went like, I posted an ad on Craigslist and, and, and Indeed. And then I hired like college students come in and cold call for me and they would just bring leads into me. And I was still a one man show though. And I would go out on appointments and lock those deals up. Now this became very problematic because not only was I running my real estate business, which I was a solopreneur on, I had to run my call floor with all these college kids. So it was like babysitting and I was still working my casino job. So I wasn't sleeping at night. It was very, very hard, but I was making money and it was, it was moving along. And what had happened is some of these cold callers that I had were so good and just, you know, some of them were bad, which I got rid of and, you know, you have a lot of turnover, but some of them stuck and they were amazing at their job. And so I was like, you know, do you want to try one of them? I was like, do you want to try acquisitions? And they're like, well, what is that? Well, it's exactly what I'm doing. I'm locking these deals up. Do you want to try, you know, doing this yourself? I can give you some training. You know, I can give you, you know, these videos that I've watched that I've learned from. And, and that's exactly what I did. So my very first hire was from the cold callers uh, as an acquisition. And she started, you know, making calls to the leads that I had. 
and uh and that's how my, my first one hiring and then another one was dispositions obviously uh that was sylvester and he was an amazing cold caller and i asked him if he wanted to try dispositions and as i was like, I was like just watch me how i do and i talked to the buyers you know you, you see you're seeing it every day already and you're around it because you're cold calling for me and he transitioned to that role great and he's still with me to this day Sylvester's like my uh, lead disposition slash COO of the company. He understands the business model really well. He's able to run it when I'm not in the office and take care of, you know, majority of the problems that are coming through the, through the company. So that was how I started. So I, I, I was working out of my house. I had a acquisitions, had a disposition, still doing the cold calling. And, but the HOA was giving me a lot of like, complaints you know because i had all these cars parked out in front of my house and they thought like i was having keg parties or something i don't know but they were they were complaining and threatening to, to find me and so i was like well man i need to get an office so that's what pushed me to, to get an office and then uh after i got the office we were still doing the cold calling uh you know cold calling on steroids really i mean we we're really doing a lot of cold calling rvm and texting it was just in my local market but through masterminds and networking, I've met a couple people who were doing the nationwide model with PPC. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Um, this is very scalable. And so I integrated you know, myself into learning PPC and how to go nationwide uh, on the wholesaling model. And so we transitioned to that model early of last year. And uh, we we went full bore in it, and uh, I learned PPC. I run it all myself. And what I love about that marketing channel versus cold calling, it's easily scalable because when I want to go into a new market, I just turn that market on. Where in cold calling, you got to pull all new data, skip trace it, and then get new callers in place. And it, it, it you know it's brain damage. I mean, obviously you can hire a company to do it for you, but it's still a lot that goes to it. And so the PPC man has just been game changer for us as far as scalability. Okay. Yeah, that's um, definitely what I've heard from other guests on our show. And it's something I want to get into as well, because I'm still doing the old fashioned way. And I think everyone kind of needs to start out that way. Like, like you mentioned in a different interview, cold calling is like the, the gateway drug to get in. That's what but I, then I was going to say, I call it the gateway drug to wholesaling. That's exactly what it yeah. is. <laughs> So um, well, you had a, the call center and then you transitioned folks into acquisition disposition roles. But what was what were they calling initially? Wouldn't that still be like acquisition or was that just solely wholesaling? They were, they were just no, they, uh, initially they were just cold callers. So I'd pull the data, skip trace it and then I'd put it in the dialer and they would just call and queue up the lead. And then I would be the one to go and close the lead. So okay. that's what they were initially, just a cold caller, just get me leads. And then, you know, eventually I trained them how to do my job, what I was doing. So. Okay. That's More I, like yeah. appointment setters initially. Yeah. Kinda. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know one of the first people I had hired is a, a Filipino person with like seven years at a experience at a call center. And that was what she was doing, but I found I was still working the day job. And I was like, I don't even have time to follow up on these leads. So why don't you just run with that lead? Just get him to sign the contract. That's all I need. It's great. <laughs> but, yeah, it's um. She got a few in, but actually, one of my other guy over in Venezuela, he's been more successful. Although it depends on the market and what price point we're at, of course. And yep. that's actually my only hesitation in going nationwide through PPC or really anything is how do I get up to speed on any of the markets? 
very quickly, but also, you know, how do, how do I know if I'm going to be able to find a buyer, especially if it's like a, a small inactive market? Because even if I'm focusing on Texas, like someone will say, yeah, I want to sell my property in, you know, whatever it is, Jefferson County or someplace I'm not active in. I'm like, there's no, no there's no activity there. So how do you do that? So that, that, man, that's an amazing question. So in the beginning, when we first did this, that was probably one of our biggest pain points. Locking deals up, not knowing the market, what deals are being sold for, locking them up too high, not knowing your market. That's going to come through just crap ton of repetition of getting to know those new virtual markets and making sure that you're deep enough on your offer than you would be if you're going belly to belly with the seller because you got to make sure you're just deep enough to have those spreads built in because you really don't know the market like you do your own backyard. Um, and so, you know, maybe in the beginning out of every five contracts we'd get, one would close because either, you know, we lock it up too high, which was the most common issue, or we couldn't find a buyer because we were, we didn't know how to find a buyer in the beginning. What we would do, we would just go on realtor.com, scrape the first five pages for realtors who represented buyers in that market and cold call and text those realtors. We'd also pull the flippers out of prop stream in that market, cold call and text them. And then I also bought the nationwide realtors list that has all the realtors, phone numbers and emails nationwide. And then we pull out, you know, those numbers, cold call and text them. And it, it was a real grind in the beginning. Um, and so just through the repetition is how we learned how to comp deals correctly. And also leaning on other wholesalers that I've got a, a lot of good relationships with in these other markets just from being in so many masterminds and then asking their opinions. And then um, as far as the buyers, man, I stumbled in the beginning, really uh, uh, took us off. I stumbled across a platform called InvestorLift. And InvestorLift, what this guy has done is he's uploaded all the buyers across the United States onto one platform. So that way, if you get a deal out in Texas and I'm here in Arizona, I could blast it out and the buyers will see Those buyers in Texas will see that deal. Um, that worked great for big markets. Um, for these smaller markets, like you had mentioned, uh, that became you know, a, still a problem. So we, we learned how to list our wholesale deals on the MLS. And so that is the main form we sell our deals now is through the MLS nationwide. Um, but still, there was a, another problem. In some of these small markets, when you're trying to sell a cash deal, there's not a lot of investors there. There's just not a lot of investor activity. So, but there's MLS activity. So we're like, what, what can we do to still monetize these leads and we found Novations. And Novations is where we, where we could sell a deal on the MLS to an end user with conventional FHA and VA financing and monetize that lead where we, you know, as before, we're just selling to investors. So Novation has been a game changer. And I would say over half my whiteboard right now is Novations. And I have 57 deals on the board right now. And so everyone knows in the company, we're a Novation company first wholesale second because um, the novation model works so much better than wholesale when you try to do this nationwide model with you know all these rural markets okay got it um but it, it obviously takes some time for the, the lender to go through and approve that loan and everything so how do you manage the lead times so when we're doing these deals we're letting the seller know hey we're not your buyer because um, being as investors, we need to make a marginal profit. Profit, But also, that with that being said, as investors, we are great at bringing buyers to the table 
to get your price because we have to sell our fix and flips for top dollar. So if we can partner with a buyer through means of realtors, the MLS, and our network of buyers and get your asking price, will that work for you? And we let them know we'll take care of all the title costs, all the commissions. There's no, you don't have to deal with any realtors. We'll handle the appraisers and we'll handle the inspection process. All you got to do is sit back and collect your check and they love it. And so we let them know right up front, this could take between two and three months. So that way it, the, the expectations are put up front with them. And that's also why I like novations versus wholesale where in wholesale, you're working in that gray area. You're not letting the, the seller know you're signing the contract. You don't want your buyer to know what price you, you know, you got it locked up at. And there's all this gray area that you're trying to wiggle through and it, it kills deals a lot of times. With novations, everything is up front with the seller. And then you're working only with realtors on the back end. So it's a lot cleaner. And so they're, they're not giving us a lot of pushback on the, the, the 60 to 90 days. And a lot of times these sellers who are needing a higher price on their property that doesn't work for wholesale, but they've been talking to a lot of investors who have been pitching creative financing. We'll let them know, listen, we're not going to ask you to take your money over 10, 20 or 30 years. We're going to get your money in two to three months. And so and that's how we get past that objection. And a lot of them, they love it because they're calling us because they want convenience and they want cash offer. And that's the whole reason why they're, they're ringing our phones. But with a concierge service, it still does that. They get their net number. We're taking care of the whole process. They just need to wait a little bit more time. Okay. So, so um, on MLS, do you have to like designate it as a novation or is that just the term that's it's referred to? Or That's the term it's referred to is what it's called legally. So on, the, on, the, on MLS, we are acting as seller because we get an attorney in fact signed by the seller to allow us to conduct the transaction on their behalf. And so that's how we're able to sign all the offers on their behalf, negotiate with the realtors, sign the broker paperwork, sign any disclosures, anything like that, and deal with the title company on their behalf. Okay, got it. Yeah, I'm actually, should tomorrow close on a deal like that? I just didn't realize it was called Novation, but it, I wasn't fully transparent like you're talking about. So <laughs> they just, it will it help save deals. Yep. It will help save deals if you're, and yeah, then you're able to sell it to a conventional finance buyer. And the way we're able to get paid off on those uh, financing um, buyers is that we put a lien on the property and any financing company approves all lien payoffs. So a mortgage is a lien payoff. So they'll approve that. A mechanics lien is a lien payoff. They always approve that. So we never get any pushback from the lenders because our fee is just a lien that's getting paid off. Oh, like a deed of trust or? It's a notice of interest is what it is. A notice okay. of interest lien. It's very similar to mechanics lien. Okay. Notice of interest. Interesting. Notice of interest. And then we're submitting a release of interest with a dollar amount to zero out the HUD when for our payoff. Yeah, I, I paid an attorney thousands of dollars to draft all this paperwork up. The novation and indemnification, the contract, the notice of interest the release, all the paperwork that we use to conduct the transaction. Okay, got it. Does that ever come become an issue like if everyone can see how much you're making? Or is it just not that it large has not of a been spread? An issue yet. Yep, it's not have been an issue yet because it just goes on a line item as a lien payoff and the seller already knows that we're getting paid from the buyer. 
So we're letting them know this is the net number to you. We're going to take care of any repairs that need to be done through the inspection, take care of all the realtor fees, all the title costs, and we're going to make a marginal profit from the buyer. So we have gotten zero pushback up to this point. Now, will it happen? I'm sure it's going to happen. You know what I mean? It's just that's that's the industry we're in. It happens in wholesale. Um, and when it happens, the novation and indemnification contract protects us and the notice of interest clouding title will protect us. So we'll just, you know, cross that bridge when we get there. But I mean, we, we've done a ton of novations this year and have had no pushback on that because way, the way we set the expectations up front. Okay. Got it. And it's, I'm assuming it's like a, usually like a $10,000 spread margin. Oh man, no, it's more. Our average assignment is around 17,000. I would say our average novation is around 30,000. We have some uh, close at 60,000, some are close at 50. I mean, our novation fees are bigger than our assignment fees. My lowest one is 5,000, just to be completely transparent. So, I mean, there are, you, you are going to have your low ones too, because you just didn't predict exactly how, how much the condition of the property aesthetically was when you went to market and you had to adjust accordingly. Okay. Got it. Um, in terms of like deciding when the right time is to go nationwide with PPC campaigns, like when is that? Cause I feel like you have to get some reps in first before just like, you know, drinking from a fire hose with all those leads. Yeah. Like what do you have to like have set up and what do you think is the right time? The right time is when you're doing, you know, at least probably five deals in your own backyard on a consistent basis monthly. You know, you're, you're understanding the process of how title works. You're understanding with all the contracts. You're understanding how to talk to sellers, how to talk to buyers. You got the business kind of the, the understanding of it on lockdown. You're just looking to scale now. Um, I would never suggest anybody to come right out of the gate and go nationwide wholesaling because it's just going to be, you're setting yourself up a failure really quick. And one thing I did, and uh, I always like talking about this because I don't want anyone else doing this. When I went nationwide, I just turned off all my local marketing and turned on the nationwide marketing. And so I turned off what was paying the bills. And I turned off my bread and butter and I went, I went to this nationwide model. On the first month, I lost $70,000. The second month, I lost $50,000. And the third month, I lost 30. And then at the fourth month, we started getting traction and we started making money. So it took me time to transition into the nationwide model. So I recommend anybody who's thinking about this to do, make it just a small arm of your business, but don't turn off what's working now and what's paying the bills and slowly transition into it and then slowly ramp down your local while you're ramping up your nationwide. Um, that was a big mistake I made in the, get, the beginning of my journey doing this. And so I recommend to me, you know, all the students I have in my coaching, please do what you're, what's working for you now. Don't turn it off. Keep it going. It's paying the lights. It's getting you fed and then slowly make this an arm of your business. So, Okay. And I'm just thinking a few things. The 70, 50, 30K losses, is that just from the PPC expenses or what? Were those PPC, losses? payroll, all my overhead. I was in the office in. Yeah, man, I, I just went full bore in, you know, and it was, it was bad, you know. I mean, we're still paying all our systems and software. We're, you know, my monthly overhead right now is around 80K a month. Uh, just to keep the lights on and going. We are working on things right now to get that overhead down. I would like to see it under 50. Um, but 
in the beginning, man, you, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And I just turned everything on. I had a bunch of employees and it was just one big mess <laughs> to say the least. Okay. And then we started slowly getting traction as deals were closing. And like I said, we weren't doing novations then it was only wholesale and it was, it was a tough transition. Okay. But I guess you just had some capital to absorb those losses. I did. I did have some capital because uh, I already had been wholesaling for a good year and a half. And I was still fixing and flipping here locally. I've never stopped fixing and flipping. You know, when I get a deal that comes across my plate and it's here local and I think the numbers are okay, then I'll take it down. I mean, in this market, it's crazy. You know, anytime I fix and flip a house, I'm getting over asking. It's a bidding war every single time. So I'm trying to grab everything I can locally. We're even doing our first virtual flip right now in Miami. We got a deal that we've been working. It's a probate deal. And it's been in escrow for a year now, and we're about to close on it. I'm going to flip it because it's just, it probably needs maybe about $20,000. I got a lot of, uh, you know, friends who are wholesalers and investors out there who will help me get some general contractors in there. And I'm going to do my first virtual flip here coming soon. So um, this, I have some money in the bank to answer your question. Um, but I did uh, lose a lot of sleep at night. And I knew if they kept going, I was going to have to close the doors. So that's why I just recommend to everybody, uh, please, you know, don't turn off what's working and just turn this on a little, you know, very little, just a little bit, slightly, and, and maybe spend around $1,500 a month in the beginning, getting those leads coming in nationwide, understanding how the PPC works, getting it optimized. That was another thing, you know, I had to spend a lot of money in PPC in the beginning to get leads because I didn't know how to run PPC correctly. So that was a huge learning curve for me. So I was blowing a lot of dollars. You know, our, our cost per conversion in the beginning was probably around $700, $700 cost per lead. So it was astronomical. And now, and now at this point, we're at $43 cost per lead. So it was like night and day uh, once I really learned, you know, how to, to, to utilize Google. Okay, that was another question I had. Um, is do you feel like it's learned best through trial and error, or is there a resource you can recommend people go to? Yeah, get, get coaching and mentorship on it, or buy a course on it. You know, there's a lot of courses out there you can get into if you do some research that are good. We offer coaching and mentorship on it, but ours is on the whole A to Z nationwide wholesaling with PPCs, your main marketing channel, and Novations is one of your exit strategies is what we're teaching on. Um, but find somebody who's already doing it, you know, someone who you vibe with and learn from them. Because if you go and just try to do it yourself, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. You're going to spend a lot of money one way or another. You're going to pay for it unless you're already like a complete Google genius and you, you know how Google works. And maybe then, you know, you don't need the uh, the, the hand holding that I needed in the beginning because I'm not a tech guy and this is not my thing and software and all that stuff is very difficult for me, but I, I had to learn it if I wanted to scale the business. So, okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I really feel like it's so true. You either pay with your time or your money and you might spend years spinning your wheels trying to figure it out when, and then like at that point you might be burnt out and not want to do it anymore. Anyway, that's in my experience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you it's might as well just face them. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I'd had a coaching and mentor from the beginning of my journey because, you know, maybe I would have lost all that money. Maybe he would have said, no, you need to uh, under, you know, you need to do a background check on this uh, contractor. Look at the ROC, the register of contractors, 
follow up with some of his previous clients. I don't know, you know, it, I wouldn't have probably got as burned as or as bad if I had a mentor. But since then, I've had coaches and mentors, you know, all through throughout my whole journey. I've been part of mastermind groups. I'm part of six masterminds now. And I'm a very hardcore advocate of uh, mentorship. I've even got sort of like a coach mentor nanny right now. We just had a newborn baby and she's teaching us everything on how to take care of a newborn baby because I don't know how to do that. So I'd rather just pay for the speed and convenience and learn how to do it. You know, someone can do it better than you. Yeah, definitely. Makes sense. I've heard that they might teach you some stuff at the hospital, but I guess it only goes so far. They don't teach you much. They taught me very little bit and they let us go. We were in there for 24 hours and I was like, okay, I don't know what to do now. You know, (laughs) it it was, uh, it's been fun. So yeah, man, I I feel like my superpower is copy and paste. You know, I, I, I look at what other people are doing. I'll pay to access their information and I'll copy and paste them. I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I don't want to try to like, you know, make it my own thing. I want to know what works, implement it. It made them a millionaire. I know it can make me a millionaire and go from there. Perfect. Yeah, that's that's what I'm a big believer in. I think one of the first things when I started to get into real estate investing was um, I was I was told that growing up, you're taught to not look at other people's test answers and don't cheat and all this stuff. But it's actually the opposite. Once you're an adult, you need to just have the person give you the test answers and just do exactly that. Don't mess it up. Just copy and paste. <laughs> so I love that. It's exactly right. Man. 120%. That's the life hack right there. Yeah. You know, read a lot of books, go to a lot of YouTube videos, you know, YouTube university university, consume as much as you can for free, go to free re events, network with people who are already doing deals. And then, yeah. And when you start getting a little bit of money in the bank, you know, start, start paying for that, that, that shortcut that, you know, that time, man, is so valuable and the money you, you save. Yeah, definitely. Um, in terms of, you said $1,500 starting out, but what point should I be looking at as I scale up the PPC? Like kind of what, what are you spending per month now? Right now we're at $25,000 a month on PPC right okay. now. Um, so scaling, uh, as far as scalability, that's all in your comfort zone. And I would suggest when you start getting deals closing out of that marketing channel, putting that money right back into the marketing PPC and scaling it that way. So spending $1,500 a month might take you two or three months to close a deal. Maybe you make $15,000. Okay, now you got a little padding in the bank to scale up the PPC, maybe to $3,000 a month. And, you know, and then rinse and repeat and go to $5,000 a month. And $7,500, you always want to scale on in increments. You never want to be like, okay, I'm $1,500. This is working a little bit and then jump up to 20,000 um, because this you're, you're just going to cause yourself a bunch of headache and problems. Yeah, that's that's I think that's the balance that you need to have those systems and processes in place. But at the same time, when you're starting out, you can't um, spin your wheels and try to have the grandest masterpiece set up either. You have to just Correct. hit the ground running at, at some point. Right. Correct. So scale in slowly. You know what I mean? And uh with PPC, as we were scaling, I was, you know, analyzing all our markets. I was, I was looking at the KPIs, you know, looking at how many deals we're getting out of that market, looking at what our cost per deal was, what cost per lead was, you know, how many closings we're getting, what our average deal size is. And I would even talk to my acquisitions and be like, hey, guys, how do you guys like playing in Texas? 
oh, we love it. You know, we're closing a lot of deals there and, you know, sellers are selling. But they might say, oh, no, we hate it. It's a non-disclosure state. We can't comp the deals there. We need to figure out something, a uh, new comping process. You know, talk to your team. If you're a solopreneur, you'll know what the problems are. And that's how I was able to scale state by state. Right now, we're in 42 states. You know, the the the, the eight states that we're not in, there's a reason why we're not playing in those states. Is that like a super tenant friendly places like New York or something? We're, we're playing in New York. No, we're playing in New York. Uh, we're not playing like in Wyoming, West Virginia, the Dakotas. Um, I got I to gotta, I pull my campaigns up to, to let you know exactly. But there's eight of them that we're not in. Um, but we are in New York. So we'll, okay. we'll play there like like California is a tenant friendly state. But we love California because when we do do deals there, there are really big pops. You know, I don't think I've had a deal close there that's under 50,000, but you, you, they're very rare. You're going to deal with a lot more problems because of the tenant friendly states and it's hard to get rid of tenants and squatters. And so it's not as uh, you're not going to get as many deals because of it. You're going to have a lot more issues. Okay. Got it. Um, so right now I'm focusing on vacant lands because I felt like single family homes are just the highest hanging fruit. And I didn't want to start with, the wind in my face. I like to have stuff in my back toward my back, you know, pushing me to success. So um, do you feel like PPC could be applied to something like land or other property types or what do you think? It can. I, I think it definitely applied to land um, very easily. Um, now your multifamily, we're getting into mobile home parks. That's one of our new uh, uh, strategies that we're doing. It's another arm of my business. Uh, these type of uh, properties, it, it probably wouldn't work too well because like mobile home parks, mom and pops are in the seventies and eighties and they're not going on there and typing in sell my mobile home park fast. Um, same with like big apartment buildings. I don't think these, these owners are very sophisticated. I don't think they're going to Google as a tool to sell their apartment, but land pieces of land. I think people would go to Google. So you just got to put yourself in the mindset of the seller. Would this seller go on Google and try to try to find a resource to sell that property? And um, so I think land would work. I've never tried it myself but i guarantee this if you were to implement that strategy your cost per conversion would be so cheap because you probably don't have a lot of competition out there going after just land in the the google ppc space okay got it that's that's what i'm really looking for my background is actually from uh, bankruptcy trade claims which sounds like maybe there's zero competition because you never heard of it you didn't even know that you could do this type of investment but there's actually the same five to ten buyers and when the bankruptcy rate is so low, it becomes hyper competitive and the margins are just cut down to nothing. So that's why I'm like really big on avoiding competition. But um, as, as I talk about this and my strategy, I wonder, does it, you think it would ever make sense for me to get involved in single family houses, especially like since I didn't start there and like don't know certain pitfalls or what do you think? Yeah, I think so, man. As long as you're just kind of how we did the old nationwide thing, I think once you're making good ROI from the land thing and you got some extra money put aside, start just small. You know what I mean? Turn on a small PPC campaign or maybe turn on a small cold calling campaign and start just dabbling with it. Even with all the heavy competition, there's still a lot of deals out there. And with the nationwide model, your competition is very little. You don't have a lot of people doing this nationwide model. If there's some people out there, but I mean, you implement an innovation strategy in there and then there's almost zero competition. Not a lot of people are doing novations. So, and yeah, and you're still going to pick up your occasional wholesale deal to that strategy. So 
No, I, I think it's, it'd be a great arm to add on to your business. You, if you're already having success with the land thing, why not you know, open your buyer, buyer pool a little bit more so you can monetize it? Yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking. Because like, as I was speaking, I was thinking, well, I don't know, Mason, maybe I'm leaving money on the table. So <laughs> yeah, all... yeah, I think so. I mean, you're yeah. having success at your, at your niche. Now kind of go and, and see, you know, play in another area a little bit, even though you might think it's like ultra competitive. But for me, it's just a mindset thing. Even when I was here hmm. in Phoenix doing deals just in Phoenix, as you know, Phoenix is like the guru capital of the world for wholesalers. You got Carlos Reyes here in South Shakar. You got, you know, Sean Terry here. You got Brent Daniels, the Batch guys, Steve Train. But I was still doing about, you know, eight to 10 deals a month, you know, and with all this competition. So it's just, it's the 80 20 rule. The 20% are put all the work in are going to get 80% of the deals, you know. And so if you're out there and you're hustling and bustling, you're going to get deals no matter what market you're in. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so back to, to building the team, I, I've, I've had already had to you know, terminate different people because they just don't do anything. <laughs> and it's probably yeah. like every, everyone's issue. So how do you screen candidates and you know, really determine if they're going to be a good fit? So we use uh, Indeed for, to, to get our candidate, to get, uh, start bringing the leads in. Um, in the beginning, I was the one screening them and I was using the OB, the OBG, te OB, OBG test. Uh, it's a an sales analysis test. And I would put them through that. It would tell me how well uh, from their answers uh, qualified they'd be for a sales agent. And then I'd bring them in for a couple interviews. I'd take them out to lunch and it was just me screening them. And it was a lot of trial and error. You're still gonna have a lot of uh, people that you're gonna, you're, a lot of turnover you're gonna go through and you're gonna keep the good ones. And now I have my whole team interview them to see if they're gonna be a good cultural fit. If they, my team knows that they're a better culture fit than I do. And what we do to keep our A players is I let them come in on investments with me. So I'm, I do oil and gas. We're drilling three holes in Texas right now. I'm allowing them to come in on, with me on that. I allow them to come with me on fix and flips. I allow them to come with me on the mobile home park thing that we're doing. So I allow them to partake in uh, these uh, investment strategies that I'm doing so they can grow too, because at the end of the day, they want to get rich also. So why not you be the vehicle of them getting rich? You're taking all the risk. So you should be paid more because of that. You're kind of paving the path. But, you know, the way I keep my A-plus players is letting them play with me and treating them like partners, not employees. I think employee is a negative word. We don't, we don't call them employees. We call them team members. And uh, we try to keep that culture, you know, uh, throughout the company. And we've kept A-plus players because of that reason, you know, players who probably would have left and created their own business and went on their own, but they decided to stay here because, you know, they're treated so well. Yeah, that's, that's um, perfect. That's, that's great. Um, because there, there is that counter argument. Well, there's the flight risk. If you get high caliber in-person people, they get up the learning curve and leave after six months. So I should just hire VAs. So what's your view on remote workers and you know, overseas VAs and stuff like that? Uh, we don't use a lot of VAs in our company because our culture is just like we love coming in the office and hoorahing and celebrating when deals close and talking about problems on deals. We have a, we're like a family. Um, VAs are good for my technical work. I have three right now that work like, you know, like either they're texting for me, they're pulling lists, skip tracing, they're uh, managing my KPIs, all the real uh, 
you know, paperwork type stuff. I'll push off to them. I have them building out my mobile home parks list right now, sellers. And so any, any work like that is you know, transactional that, you know, that doesn't need the culture uh, fit. But I, that, now this, because that's what we do doesn't mean that the VAs work. I know a lot of investors who have very great VA teams and they have good culture in between those teams. They're always on Zoom calls with them. They're giving them bonuses or, you know, making them part of the family. So I know it can work both ways. But for me, I just love the in-office environment. You know, it gets me up in the morning, me coming into the office and who run around. It just gives me purpose. So I, I love I love the, uh, the environment that I've created. So, but both ways work. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's kind of... The point I'm at right now, it's like, you know, maybe all of this would just be easier if I had it, did it in person with, you know, someone that, I don't know, just understands me more. Like sometimes my VAs will do stuff and it's like, how would you even think of doing that? Like, it's just ridiculous. Like, right. <laughs> it's frustrating. Just wasting time for me, buddy. Come on. Like, <laughs> yeah. There's pros and cons to both. Yeah. Absolutely. There's pros and cons to both, man. And you're going to have your struggles no matter what direction you want to pursue in. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. That's helpful. Um, I think that I've hit, I was actually going to ask something else. I, I actually just had forgotten it, but um, is there anything else that you think we've missed while I think about that? No, man. I mean, I would just say if you're starting out in your journey, just consume a lot of books, a lot of mindset stuff. One of my favorite books is Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. Um, so just consume, 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 be around like-minded people, go to the free events, you know, and try to get around people who have the same goals and dreams that you do. And, you know, and when you can start getting into masterminds and start getting into coaching. And that's the best way to, to really get started. Um, other than that, man, yeah, it's just going to be being a business owner is always a huge learning curve. I mean, once you start building a team, it's no longer learning how to like, oh, talk to sellers and how to do contracts. Now it's learning how to motivate your team and be a leader. And how do you uh, mat work um, on the business instead of in the business? And so uh, throughout your journey, you're always going to have new learning and new uh, pain points that you're going to have to learn to get over. So, yeah, I think so. I think one difficulty for me in the past few months has been like trying to work too much on the business and the core business is not doing well, even though I have people that are working for me. It's like they're not bringing enough contracts in. Like I need to hunker down again, work in the business just to get this thing going again. You know? Yeah. That's happened to me a few times where I've had to let people go. Like if I, right now I got three acquisitions. Uh, if one were to leave, I'd probably be okay. I would just turn down the marketing a little bit. It wouldn't be too bad. And I would be, I would work on hiring, but if two left, I would probably have to get back in the weeds again and start talking to sellers. Um, and you have to get back in the business until you build back up again into where you start working on the business again. And that happens, it happens in dispo. It happens in transaction coordination. It's going to happen everywhere until you get all those key players in place. And even then, you know, nothing is forever. Just because you got an A-plus player, rock star, now doesn't mean that you're going to have them a year from now. Um, that's just the way it goes. Yeah, that's, that's a gem in itself. Like, you work really hard to build this automated system, but people are people, you know? It's people are people. <laughs> yeah, and now there's a lot of things you could do to mitigate that. Like I was talking about, you know, how we do keep our A-plus players. I call it the diamond handcuffs. You know, you put the diamond handcuffs on them, let them grow with you, 
And then, you know, they, they will stick around. Your, your good ones will stick around, you know. And our Monday morning meetings, we're always talking about mindset, talking about new books to read. So we're always working on their, their self-growth and also business growth. You know, we're always meeting on goals, what they want to achieve in life and how they want to get there and maybe how we can be a vehicle for that. And that's the way you got to look at it. And um, it's, been a, it's been a blessing. But, I mean, we still have turnover here and there. Um, we haven't had – we just – the last turnover we had was probably three months ago. Uh, lost an acquisition. He went to the lending world and became a mortgage underwriter, and he's a great person. And then we got another acquisition that came in, um, and he's killing it because uh, he came from another company, so he knew the game really well. He was a referral through the net through the network of people I know, and he I brought him in, and he was off to the races. Okay, yeah, that's what I was going to mention earlier. Is like. The, the value that I've seen working in person in an office is that learning through reverse osmosis and like they they're just they're learning even if they don't want to be because they they're overhearing your calls and stuff and they really starting to pick up things versus my my VAs overseas it's like I can type my comments and give them feedback on recorded phone calls but it that's another risk too because they might take it personally or like they may they don't hear my intonations my tones about how I'm trying to deliver this feedback so you know Absolutely. it's just Tough. Yeah, their culture is different too. Your tone, yeah. the way you say something, could mean something totally different to them and their culture than what it means here to us. And uh, yeah, it, 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 I know it works. So I mean, I know people out there doing it. So yeah, it's all about well, what your vision is. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's a good thing to start out with, like especially if it's like, well, I don't know if I can afford to pay someone a salary or even like oh, more than ten dollars an hour. So it's good to just get experience managing people. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now, but definitely hope to. Absolutely. And you can bring them in on commission only. If they're commission yeah. only, then, you know, their, 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 their revenue is tied to your revenue. And that way you're not, you know, coming out of pocket, you know, with overhead on their, 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 their salary and their labor costs until a deal closes. Okay. Is that what you're doing now? Or is do you pay We're them transitioning small? into that? We didn't do that in the beginning. No. We, we, they were on an hourly with a commission and now we're transitioning over to all commission. Of course, their commission structure will build more, more money. Um, but we're having such traction now where the commission structure works really well for them and they want it. And then it also helps us if we did have a bad month, then, you know, I'm not losing sleep. My hard cost is what I'm trying to get rid of. I'm, I'm doing everything I can to knock down that overhead, you know, my, my all, all, all around hard costs. And I don't mind dishing out more money to do that because that's going to get them more motivated. They're going to be you know, closing more deals and uh, it makes them almost like kind of like a partner as a ver versus like, you know, a, a, an employee. Like I said, I hate that word. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a good way to look at it. So how does that commission change? Is it like a 5% to 10% move? It went from seven to 10, but with the 10, now when they hit a hundred thousand dollars a month and close revenue for the company, they get extra bonuses. Like at a hundred thousand, it's a two thousand dollar extra bonus. At one hundred twenty thousand, it's a three thousand dollar bonus. All the way up, we have this uh, built out on a scale. Like it's it's, just, it's a we have an, a, a a Word doc or not Word, an Excel spreadsheet, and it goes all the way up to they close a half million dollars in one month, and they get this like ridiculous, you know, fifty thousand dollar bonus or something. So it's it's a it's a ladder, um, and so we'll be implementing that. Plus at the base, they're getting ten percent. So they're they're stoked about it. Okay. Got it. That's interesting. That's on the acquisition side, but disposition, mm -hmm. 
Is that a, a different commission structure? It is. It is. So right now on the hourly, he's getting three and a half percent all direct to seller because he's getting everyone's deals. You know, I mean, he's getting paid off everyone's deals, but he'll be bumped up to five percent when we go all commission. And then I also allow him when he brings JVs to the table, which he does a lot of. He's very proficient at getting JV deals. I pay him 20 percent off JV, JV deals because to me, JV, there's no marketing costs. There's no overhead. That was a free deal that we obtained through your networking skills or maybe through your social media skills. And so when he brings one in from that, from that channel, I allow him to keep 20 percent. Okay, that's interesting. And actually, on JVs, um, with the other in investor involved, like do you all split everything 50 50, or how do you structure those JVs? They're all different. It depends. Um, we like to like make at least five. So, you know, every, every relationship is different. Sometimes we do 50 50, sometimes we do 60 40, 70 30. Every deal is different. We negotiate uh, by a deal, deal by deal basis, but we want to make a minimum at least 5K per deal. Okay, got it. Which I would say our average is probably somewhere around 10. Okay. Oh. But across the board, the absolute minimum is five. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want, I don't want to spin my team's wheels uh, if we're making two grand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this, yeah. I know you're saying that. Sorry. I just um, was saying that those are just to get the reps in. That's what I was doing initially. I was, I'll make one or 2,000. Like, yeah, that's yeah, not really going to be like quit your day job income, but I definitely get the no. experience. For the next one, the confidence. It's probably good when you're a solopreneur to do it, but when you got a team and you got a lot of overhead, the time that they're taking away to work that three thousand dollar deal, they're taking away that time from the, the, the bigger deals that you got that they could be working on. So that's why. And five thousand is probably too low of a benchmark for us. We should probably raise it to ten thousand, even though that is our average. But uh, it's probably too low because I, I got to spend my transaction coordinator's wheels. I got to spend my file handlers, handlers wheels. And then I got to spend my, you know, disposition guys wheels. So, I mean, there's a lot of moving pieces on the back end of, of closing deals. So. Got it. Um, one day before we go, I forgot to ask, how long did it take you to, to have your business run in before you could leave your day job as a blackjack dealer? Uh, I quit um and the end of 2018 um so 2019 is when uh i uh, quit I, I went wholesaling in 2017 so a, a year to year and a half we'll call it a year and a half when i was doing both at the same time and when i saw that okay i can make the leap of faith and let this go and just work on this only and it's funny when i did that my revenue on my real estate side jumped through the roof because I was able to put so much, so much more attention and bandwidth into it. Um, I remember uh, Sean Terry made me in, in the boardroom mastermind. I was part of the mastermind when I was working my, my casino job. And he made me do a promise uh, by the end of the year of 2018, if I didn't quit, I was gonna have to pay this charity $15,000. So he made it a, a hard commitment for me. And then, uh, and I was unsure still when I got towards the end of the year. And it's funny, it was another, another uh, thing from God. I went to Vegas and I went ice skating. I went on top of the casinos. I fell and broke my wrist. I fell and broke my wrist. So I couldn't come home and deal blackjack. I had to be off for three months. This is the end of 2018. So I, I saw that a complete sign from God that this is this this is at the time to do it. So I went in and gave my resignation letter and they just walked me right back out. <laughs> so, okay, good stuff.
Yeah, that's that sounds great. Um, I think that's good. I've heard a lot of wise people given it at least 12 months to run with, but there's a certain point where you need to just cut I, it off. Ideally, you want to have, you know, living costs and uh, business expenses about six months in the bank. You know, that, that's what they say. I, I had less than that when I did it. I know I had less than that. I still had some money coming in. You know, I know I had my 401k that was left over that I didn't, didn't blow out because you could take 50%. And that's what I lost in my fix and flipping uh, journey. But I knew I saw some money there. And so, you know, the, you want to ideally have about six months around that if you can. Um, now, I didn't, like I said, I didn't follow that. But, you know, use your best judgment. Be careful. You don't want to run yourself bankrupt and quit your job. And then, you know, but obviously on that note, have the leap of faith too. believe in yourself. You got to go out there and just do it. And that's, it's going to be scary no matter what. It's scary to be an entrepreneur. Um, but the only way to do it is jump off the cliff and build your wings on the way down. Definitely. Yeah. Um, before we started recording, I, I mentioned I went to China for two years and I started a product development company there. At that time, I did exactly that. And I was a lot less wiser. I was like 23 and I just left the day job. I got a bonus, like, like 20,000 in the bank. And to me, that was basically a million dollars. So I was like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> 23. You're like, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but yeah, yeah now, now it's like, you know what, I'm going to build that cash reserve and I'm actually like several steps ahead, but doing exactly what you're saying. So yeah, <laughs> on yeah. the right track, it sounds like, but it's, it's tough because you still got to pay the bills when you're trying to save. So, you know, yeah, you got to eat, your family's got to eat, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and then, and then on that note, when you first do it, don't be going out there and buying the Lamborghinis and Corvettes and all that, you know, when you, when you're first becoming an entrepreneur, put all that money away. If you're having some good months, great. That's amazing. Put it away. Keep it for the company, you know, and use it to build your company up. Don't go out there and just blow it. Going to nightclubs, going to Vegas, buying the Lamborghini. And I see a lot of wholesalers. That's what they do. And then they go, they're right back to square one again. And they can't understand why they're not having consistency of uh, lead flow and deals. And because you're, you're, you're on this crazy roller coaster on how you, you manage your finances. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, those are the first people that, Go out of business when the mm, economy churns. <laughs> absolutely. My, my only temptation when they have a big pile of cash would be pay down my mortgage some more, pay down the auto loan, just try to get debt free. You know, the auto loan, really I would definitely say that's a good one. The mortgage, I would say that could wait a little while and while you're building up your business. Yeah. 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 And also, like the, the principal balance is so much larger. And so, you, I think absolutely. one thing that I can always take from Dave Ramsey is that snowball effect focus on those smaller pieces of debt first. To gain some momentum and pay those yep. off first. Yeah. Yep. And maybe just allocate an extra 500 a month to pay off principal, you know, yeah. pay it off faster. And that way, five years from now, when you're like, okay, I want, I'm going to go ahead and pay this off, that note's going to be much smaller than if you're just paying the minimum payment every month. Yeah, exactly. That's what I do now. I pay like an extra one or 200. And it doesn't sound like a lot, but it adds up. Yeah. You're burning off years. Like it's hard to get excited when I'm like, oh, I'm only saving like, Five or ten years at the end of the 30-year note but you know it might be one day where i can pay a big slug and cut off yep. the five, time will come years. you'd be happy you did it so your future self will thank you yeah exactly <laughs> all right <laughs> perfect so um the last thing before we go you mentioned that you're having people link up with you on facebook because you're starting this coaching mentoring program could you just go into that some more like when do you plan on having that fully ramped or is it can people already get involved or yeah, you... people can get involved now. It's fully ramped. We got 30 students right now as we speak. 
And uh, I just got that through organic traffic on my Facebook because people have been following my journey, you know, closely. And then when people learned I was doing coaching, they, they jumped on board. Um, if you want to find more about it, just hit me up on Facebook and you could DM me right there. And then you can see, you know, check me out on Facebook. I'm always posting content on there. Um, it's Corey Geary, C-O-R-E-Y, Geary, G-E-A-R-Y. I'm also on Instagram, Geary Corey. It's backwards. But I don't, you know, I don't uh, post a lot of content on Instagram. I'm more of a Facebook guy. And the name of the coaching is called New Age Wholesaling. The future of wholesaling is now because we're trying to do, you know, the cutting edge, stay ahead of the curve techniques like the PPC innovations and just be ahead of what the competition is, is, is doing out there. So newagewholesaling.com. That's just a sign up sheet right now, but we're going to have a website built out there soon. Uh, otherwise, if you want more info, hit me up on Facebook. All right. Perfect. Yeah, I'll include all that in the show notes as well. I'll find your Facebook link there and drop it in. But I think this has all been really helpful. Definitely dropping gems all over the place. So this is great. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me, my friend. I do really appreciate it. Sure. No problem. Do it again. Okay. All right. That's another episode of Scalable Real Estate Investing. Thank you for tuning in. Please be sure to leave a review and subscribe on whatever channel you're using to listen or watch these episodes. And also be sure to go to scalablerealestateinvesting.com, scroll to the bottom and fill out the form to sign up for our email. And you could also reach me directly at mason at scalablerealestateinvesting.com. That's M-A-S-O-N at scalablerealestateinvesting.com. If you'd like to get in touch with me to either partner on deals or even be considered to do your own episode on this podcast. Thanks again and have a great day.